Good morning, everybody. My name is Jeff, and I am on staff here at New Community. Graciously, uh, I have been extended a, a place here uh, on staff, and we'll be planting a church over in Coeur d'Alene as well. So um, we're just so excited to be welcomed into this family of faith and feel it to be just such a privilege. So um, so thrilled to be able to do this and share with you uh, and be a part of what's going on here at New Community. This morning, we will be looking at this next part of the Lord's Prayer. We find this in Matthew chapter 6, and this is uh, chapter 6, verse 10. And it simply says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And as I look at those words and contemplate their meaning, I am struck immediately by the fact that there are two concepts in this one verse that could take months, if not years, if not a lifetime for us to understand. The idea of God's kingdom and then the recognition of God's will. People have been asking questions and and not fully comprehending God's kingdom and God's will for a very long time. So the staff here decided to give that to the new guy. And, uh, and, and we'll go with it. And um, I promise that we'll have us all out of here by Super Bowl. So we may miss a game or two, but we'll be out by Super Bowl. And by the way, this message um, was completely in perfect form and finalized, and then Tebow lost. So God's will was dramatically altered uh, for me. I'm still reeling from that. I don't, I don't know quite what to do with Jesus not liking Tebow anymore. But, um, but, I'll, but I'll get, I'll, we'll, you know, we'll find a way. We'll, get a, we'll, we'll wrestle through the tension. Um, my wife said she, 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 she knows my tendencies to overstudy and overprepare and sometimes overteach and not preach enough. And, and I was outlining some of this stuff for her. And she said, well, now, how are you going to make this so that people really remember something. I mean, what are the, what are, give, give them two points. Just give them two points. And I said, okay, well, let's see, two points. Um, God's kingdom has come. God's kingdom will come. And God reigns forever. God's will will be done, whether we like it or not. Have a great day. We're good, right? <laughs> There's more than that. I would, um, I would encourage us as we wrestle with these words, as we um, let them be a part of us, as we engage with them, perhaps in new and fresh ways, that we spend some time with these verses, and, and particularly with this prayer. Um, I grew up in a Catholic environment, and this prayer was recited in Mass, and it was beautiful and had deep meaning. This prayer was also used ritually, especially in the context of confession. So you would go to confession, and the priest would slide open the little door, and and you would say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And, of course, then you would just, I would, you know, let go for half an hour or so. And and then he would say, um, well, then go out into the pew and say, 20 Our Fathers and 30 Hail Marys, and your sins will be forgiven. Go and sin no more. And so the prayer was actually used... for me, in this context, in kind of a punitive way. And so I, I associated maybe some, some different things to this prayer. It was, it was a rote recitation that became ritual devoid of meaning. 
and it was punitive. And it really hasn't been for the last few years that I've re-engaged in this prayer. And I, and I have to tell you honestly that it has really transformed my life. Just sitting with the, the concept of our Father, you could meditate on that for hours and be swept up in the, in the idea of God being our Father, our Daddy. And then contemplating the reverence of his name and the things that we will talk about today. There are a few words that are as difficult to understand as covenant in the Old Testament and kingdom in the New Testament. There are hundreds of books, especially recently, that focus on kingdom living and kingdom principles. Many of them are quite good. In fact, if you'd like a recommendation on several of the books um, that we could point you to on kingdom principles, kingdom living, kingdom of God, um, let us know. Um, there are a number of them. Some of them are pretty weak. Some of them would have us believe that the ushering in of God's kingdom is marked by our prosperity and by a blessing on us. Still others of these books challenge us to deeply broaden our limited concepts of all that God's kingdom entails. But this is certainly a topic that demands our attention, and it is one that we should always be seeking a deeper understanding of. In our time today, we're going to look more specifically at the meaning of kingdom and the meaning of will. Now, as for application, let me point you to the seven values of new community. Because all of these values were adopted for this faith community in response to helping us live kingdom-based lives. Because we live together communally, and, and all of these kingdom principles are best lived out in community. If you're not in community, we, just, we couldn't encourage you more to get engaged in community. The things that happen in community during the week are, are paramount around here, more important than the time that we spend here, I would say. Corporate worship is critically important, but you've got to be in community. Because in community, we live together missionally. We are sent for God's purpose. In community, we contemplate together. We are recreational together. We learn relationally. And we have hearts of hospitality and generosity in community. Now, if you haven't done these two things or are new to this community, we do a couple of things here, transform and conform. Transform is a two-day introduction into kingdom living principles and um, the Christ life and living the Christ life. Conform is a longer um, learning community where we actually look at the disciplines of being a Christ follower and, and how to live out a life of Christian faith. And both of those are excellent opportunities that we do in community um, to learn more about these principles. But I would encourage you to seek those out as the application of the information that we're going to look at this morning. Now, last week, Russ introduced us to the first part and the first petitions of this Lord's Prayer. And, and he used three words to help us understand that. The words family, breath, and sandals. Family, the first words, our Father. It resonates of family. Because the personal, our personal connection with God finds its deepest meaning in the communal connection with God. God is my Father because he is our Father. Family resonates in fact, family starts this prayer. Breath, who art in heaven, 
in heaven or in the heavens or in the air, literally in the air that we breathe. There's some contextual tension with this concept of who art in heaven. God is at once here on our very breath, but we're also reminded that there is a there, a heaven that is distinct, not marked so much as a place per se, but as an uninterrupted and non-conflicted eternal relationship with God the Father. God is approachable and near and yet dwells in awesome majesty in the heavens in all of his glory. And then hallowed be thy name, sandals. We are on hallowed ground in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And as we've seen through different texts of the Old Testament, people would remove their sandals by being on hallowed ground. Those words could be said, may it be made holy your name. Or even, God, reveal yourself. Identify your character. This prayer is saying, may God again demonstrate his holiness. And then we come to today's text. Your kingdom come. There are 160 occurrences of the word kingdom in the New Testament. There are 376 uses in the entire Bible of the root Greek word in the form of baselia, baselia, which literally means the reign of God at the climax of history when judgment is rendered and a new age is established. The present kingdom is established in the life and work of Jesus Christ, a term in this context then comprising all tenses kingdom, kingdom past, kingdom present, and kingdom future. We'll look more at those in a moment. The vast majority of uses are in the Gospels, and most of the uses of the word kingdom in the New Testament are quotes from Jesus, where he refers to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And amazingly, followers of Jesus are referred to in the scriptures as sons of the kingdom. We are adopted into God's family and sons and daughters of the kingdom. That in context, what is it today? What is our modern paradigm of kingdom? And I think us in the West, especially in the United States of America, would maybe point to the American dream as the ideal of what it means to have a reign and a kingdom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That we should have a good life in which we control our own outcomes, often at the expense of others. We've entitled this message, Your Kingdom, Your Will. But we live most of the time under the idea that is our kingdom. However broadly that may be defined for you, for some of us it may be the backseat of a car, for others it may be a home, for others it may be vast wealth. But we look in, at things in terms of our kingdom, and we look at things in terms of our will, what we desire, what we intend, or what we will to be done in our lives. Or more personally, my kingdom and my will. So we have to ask ourselves honestly when we pray this prayer and ask for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done, do we really mean it? Do we really want God's will? Now at the outset, I think it's important for us to examine a couple of concepts and um, 
I know that there may be some controversy in some of what I'm about to say, and if you have any issue with what I have to say, um, please call and email Russ. He'd be happy to... I'm just kidding. Please, you can come and talk to me, of course. Um, but when we consider the idea of kingdom, we often confuse it with the idea and the existence of empire. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. But we have made the mistake throughout history of trying to impose what we assume to be kingdom values on personal empire building. There are too many examples to give here in our time, but we Americans are horribly guilty of this. Now, again, I want to be careful. I love this country. I love democracy. I think the United States of America has a huge responsibility in this world to promote democracy and to bring peace into the world. But I also know that I have made the mistake, and I know others have too, of making Jesus our mascot to validate a political or social agenda. So are we being peacemakers as subjects of God's kingdom, or do we undermine kingdom principles to build our own empires, or even our own ideas of empire, or even to justify some of the actions that we take on as the empire of the United States of America. What do we celebrate when we think of empire? And what do we celebrate when we think of kingdom? What dreams do we dream when we think of kingdom? Are we dreaming of God's kingdom or are we dreaming of our own empires? It wasn't long ago. It was in May of last year, May 2nd of 2011. And uh, I was watching the news. Um, I had one of those feelings that there was something going to happen. I don't know, you get those feelings sometimes, like, oh, there's going to be a major world event going on. And so we were watching 60 Minutes, and sure enough, the, the news broke in, and the news came on May 2nd, 2011, Sunday night, that Osama bin Laden had been killed in his compound. And I contemplated that for a moment, and, and a lot of images came to my head. One of the images that came to my head was... Um, 9-11, 10 years earlier, when the Twin Towers fell, and some of the images we saw were of uh, Middle Easterners celebrating in the streets. And there was a feeling inside of me that just was sickened by that. How can people celebrate the death of innocent people? How can people celebrate the brutal death of anyone with the heart of vengeance? It was, it was sickening to me. And, and yet at the same time, it rose my ire as an American. Well, it wasn't within 30 minutes of the announcement of Osama's death that we saw images like this. That's in front of the White House. Most of them are younger people who were celebrating in the streets the death of Osama bin Laden. Now, again, I want to be very careful with this. I'm not going to assume what God's will or wasn't in the midst of this. And I'm not saying that the world maybe isn't a better place without him here. But there was some tension I felt when I saw people celebrating in the streets the death of one who most of our theology would say is spending an eternity in hell apart from God. And what this tells me is that we often confuse empire and kingdom. And what this tells me is that we sometimes choose to be citizens first 
of an empire and second of God's kingdom. We sometimes choose to be patriots first and wrap the Jesus flag around us and then act as kingdom citizens second. And, and, I, and I would challenge us, as I am challenged by these images, I would challenge us to think about this. Where do we find our citizenship first? Is it in God's kingdom? Or is it in the empires that we've built or our own kingdoms? We need to be careful where we find our allegiances. J.I. Packer wrote this. I love this quote. It fits right in with what we're looking at this morning. He's talking about the Lord's Prayer here. He says, Here, more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, which is practicing magic, but to bring my will into line with his, which is what it means to practice true religion. So God's kingdom come, God's will be done. What are we praying for when we pray for God's kingdom to come? I believe there are four different ways, primarily of understanding kingdom, that all make sense within the context uh, of this prayer and how um, they're used here by Jesus. The four of those that we're going to contemplate are the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the heart, the kingdom of history, and the kingdom of through the word, through God's word. First is comprehending the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven. And in this use, the kingdom of heaven is the most common use that we see in the scriptures. It's the most common term that's used by Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom come. Now when we think of seeing kingdom come, we have to kind of remind ourselves how we typically use the English language in this context. When we use the question to somebody, are you coming? We're looking to a future event. When are you coming? When will you come? We're thinking of it in a future tense event. And Jesus is instructing the church to pray for the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, even in this context. He's he's asking us to usher in and to pray for the end of history and for the beginning of the new, and then also thus for the second coming of Jesus himself. We are praying not merely for changes in present times or history past, but for a complete end to this history and for the beginning of the new history of the world and of God. So in this sense, the calling of the kingdom to come has an eschatological meaning, the eager expectation of the near end of this world and the coming of the next. And we are right in reading these words and interpreting them in this way, but we must not stop there. Now, I've asked people I know in Christian churches and other places to take a quick poll, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here, but the question I'd like to ask is, do you think that Jesus will return in your lifetime? And I am amazed at how many people raise their hands when you ask them, do you think Jesus is going to return in your lifetime? And, oh, yeah, Jesus, he's coming, man. Jesus is coming. And what I find interesting, too, is that the older people get the more uh, apt they are to raise their hand at the asking of that question. Theologians have a term for this. They call it chronocentric thinking. Chronocentric thinking. And there's actually a bit of arrogance in it. Why should we believe that Jesus will return during our lifetimes? And sometimes it's because we have this arrogance of thinking, well, because we're the most important generation, surely Jesus is going to come while we're around, right? Kind of a, it's a chronocentric way of thinking, and, and there is some arrogance in it. 
We need to be careful how we understand the coming and the future coming and understand that it is not up to us to know the day and the time that this is going to happen. And perhaps to put aside some of those arrogant thoughts that say, well, yeah, Jesus is coming in my lifetime because, you know, we're important or all that prophecy is being fulfilled and so forth. Just be very careful with that. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we should in the same breath pray, Lord, please help us to want your kingdom to come. With all that that means and all that that entails, Lord, please help us to want that your kingdom should come. Now let me ask, if, if, if we were to desire that Christ would come again during our lifetime, is that a selfish desire? I think about it. If, if Jesus returned for the second time right now, what are the consequences of that? Now, I, I gotta t- I, I, I'm conflicted by this because I would love for Jesus to come right now. But I also know that there would be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who would suffer a Christless eternity. So what does it mean for us to wish for Jesus to come? I think it's somewhat different than what we need to think about when we ask God to usher in his kingdom. There's also this reality. While there is a future tense expectation to the coming kingdom, there is also the present tense appearance of Jesus as the fulfillment of the gospel, which happened in the incarnation. And in the incarnation, Jesus is the kingdom having come to us. 